This is The Busyness Podcast. I'm Emily Austin, founder of London-based PR agency Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses, and I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my own business when I was fresh out of university in 2012, and since then, the world has become louder, our expectations have become harder to meet, and our lives have all become busier. We're constantly fobbing off friends with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm too busy. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? In this podcast, I sit down with some of the most exciting entrepreneurs, CEOs and founders in the world, asking how they manage their time, their lives, their brains, and of course, their busyness, to find out how they're able to cut through the noise and create some of our favorite brands. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Busyness Podcast. I've got an amazing guest this week, Georgie Coleridge-Cole, founder of Sherlock. She started the business in 2007 and if you haven't heard of it, frankly, where have you been? They've amassed millions of likes on TikTok and have absolutely taken social media by storm as a content platform, finding new and interesting ways for brands to show up. Sheerlux has become a real bastion of Gen Z, a millennial interest. Georgie talked to me really openly about how she's kept the business relevant since 2007. That's a really long time for an online platform like that. We talked about the newsletter, we talked about AI and how they're integrating that into their business. We looked at the rise of social media and how brands have a responsibility now to remain relevant and lean into trends even if they aren't personally ones that we feel we can get on board with. We talked about the types of people that Georgie hires and a little bit more about growing a team and culture, which I think is obviously a really important part of growing a business today. We covered off a huge amount in this episode, particularly how she's managed to editorialise a lifestyle online and why people have so passionately connected with Sherlock's. It's a brilliant episode. I'm so grateful for Georgie's time and I hope you enjoy it too. So I guess to kick off, I'd love if you could tell me more about what you were doing before Sherlock's. I started working on the plan for Sherlock's. At the end of 2005, Mm -hmm. I left university in 2004 I went to Coty Beauty. I interned for them. I was their first intern in London, actually. I interned for them whilst I was at Edinburgh University. And I spent a year in Paris in their trade marketing team on my year abroad. Because you studied French. Because I studied French. Except the trade marketing team, on that team, my boss was... One was German and one was Dutch, so I didn't speak a huge amount of French. Thank God for that degree. But um, I was working on the launch of Glow by JLo, which was... The biggest selling, fastest selling celebrity fragrance phenomenon of all time. I mean, I remember it smelled like soap, not in a good way, but... People loved it, though. We couldn't make it fast enough, and I was in the trade marketing team looking at the international sales numbers, and it blew my mind. Anyway, So a year in Paris. A year in Paris. Then after Edinburgh, I went to Coty um, as a grad, and I didn't stay there very long. I was... 
pretty hungry to progress. And whilst I was there, Katie acquired the Unilever Prestige mm-hmm. business and all promotions were put on hold. And I went as the junior brand manager and yeah, I was desperate to move on. There was a pause and I got offered a job in property marketing for mm-hmm. a division of Savills. And I thought marketing was marketing and I doubled my salary and did not love it. It was quite dry, quite slow. And I'd already been dabbling with the idea of starting a personal shopping business mm-hmm. um, sort of on the side. And whilst I was there, I saw a couple of saw a couple of friends slash clients and realised that actually it wasn't it's quite hard work going around the shops, carrying bundles of clothes for someone else. But I would always, I'd always been someone that people would say to you, where did you get that? Where did you get that? Mm. And I'd say, wait, and them, and they'd say, oh, why can I never find this? Yeah, things? every time I go in there, I never find yeah. the thing. Yeah, and I actually, my father lived in Hong Kong when I was a child, and I spent hours and hours and hours rummaging through Stanley Market, and I think I sort of developed a bit of an eye mm-hmm. and found it really satisfying and thought I'd write a book about where to shop online mm-hmm. and then that idea evolved into a website into a directory and anyway here we are 17 years later so when you when you went to Coty and then lastly to sort of property was was that because you were slightly directionless or was it sort of just opportunities or did you think you were going to go into the beauty industry specifically I wasn't desperate to work in the beauty industry it mm. interested me marketing seemed like a good fit for me I was always ambitious I always say I grew up watching working girl and playing offices and mm. so Savills came along it was more money and I thought great next step mm. and, and yeah, got there and, and realized that there was a lot of time spent moving a full stop from one place to another and and it wasn't really for me so I guess you know Everything's for a reason. Yeah, for sure. You started the business plan for Sherlock when you were 25, which is very young. What advice would you give to young people who perhaps are in their 20s and haven't yet found their calling or aren't sure exactly where to direct that kind of energy into a business plan? I would say work experience. I know it's it's hard. It's hard when you're trying to make ends meet. We've had interns that have interned for us and gone straight to a bar or got on a train and mm. gone home to work at I remember one girl who lived in Birmingham and she used to commute and do three days a week and the rest she's working in Topshop and it's hard but I think trying as many things as possible trying mm. to find what you love I, I genuinely feel so lucky to work in the industry that I we do mm. and to meet the people the women that we work with and we all go say oh you know we get to do this for work and and genuinely I feel really lucky but I do think I think it's easy to find lots of things interesting I don't think the only thing I'd have found interesting was consumer goods yeah you know I find we talked about criminology before we started recording you know I, I find that huge interesting so I think it's about finding something that genuinely interests Mm -hmm. you and I would say back to your original question to get on with it probably if you can I mean I think people have lots of careers now people work longer but if you're starting your own thing sort of the sooner the better I thought it would take a lot less time than it did I'm still trying to make it and still a hamster on a wheel and and that doesn't really stop it's easier without mortgages and like kids and families yeah I had I had a long time before I had my first child um to really really focus Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time women 
don't get back to work to the corporate world after they've had a child because the numbers don't add up or it just mm. doesn't fit with what they want to achieve in life and, mm. and that's hard I think when you've got children so I think if you know that you want to do your own thing the sooner, the sooner the better there has been a huge amount of focus and coverage on entrepreneurialism more broadly but specifically with women and female founders do you think it's true that it's not for lots of people and actually this sort of forced culture of running your own business actually you've got to have a very specific skill set and awareness to be able to go and do what you've done or what some of the women that we work with have done I think if you've got enough drive you know starting stopping what you're doing writing a plan getting it off the ground that's not easy so if you don't get through that then it's not for you probably if you can get through that then go for it I mean I don't think there's an easy option it's certainly not the easy option it's not for a lifestyle it does give you flexibility for sure there's a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad that I read many years ago you're nodding I think it's just come back into print actually I remember reading it and it said something like until May or June every year you're working for the tax man yeah is what it said and that was I saw it in the airport and it's recently and it's still got the old school cover it's obviously just been like reprinted or kind of I read that book in about 2002 And I always used to talk about it and could never find it. And then I was in the airport too the other day and yeah. I saw it. So anyway, if you see it in the yeah, airport... There's an offer on at Smith's. Yeah, it's a great read. It really it's, it really gets you thinking. Yeah, it's like one of the kind of old school business manuals, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's very good. In terms of those initial steps when you wrote the business plan for Sherlock's at 25... Where did you find the information to do that? Were you like, this is a blank piece of paper, I'm just going to start writing something that resembles a plan? Or did you have any sort of formal help with that? Well, this is where I cheated a bit in that my husband is a chartered accountant. and Helpful. um, He really helped me with that, I'm not going to lie. He really told me what it should look like, what the structure Mm. should be. I have to say, go on to ChatGPT. It'll show your business plan pretty damn quickly. Have Summit. you been using? Have you been using it? Have you been? Yeah, we are. Into- We're using it more and more. Luckily, I've resisted automation for a long, long, long time, and we've always been very bespoke. And every single thing we feature, every product goes through mm. many eyes. And I've really stood by that. We've had people join the business who've gone, "God, wow! I, I didn't realize how much you sweated." Yeah and thought about every single product that goes in, every mm. single edit, roundup, gift guide, daily edit, whatever mm. it is. Well, it's like we your really, responsibility to really leadership, do. right? That's why they respond so, so well. you know, luckily that is not something that can soon be replaced by AI, but it certainly can make us a lot more efficient. It's useful for every person in the business. I mean, I actually can't imagine life without it now. Is it you who uses it, or is it across the whole business? The whole business. Is every, it sort of inevitable everything. that it will take over more and more and more? I think it will. I think the data is there and it's using that and then it's using your soft skills, your human characteristics, um, your brain, your heart and and making a decision as to whether something's right. You can look at search trends and data and then you have to make a decision whether something's right for your business or it's helping you sub-edit things or Mm -hmm. giving you keyword research or certainly or preparation for a meeting with a client Mm -hmm. and understanding their business. Um, going into new territories, we're going to the Middle East. I mean, it, it's given me more information about the UAE and Saudi than I... It would have taken me hours yeah, to access that, that information. So I, I don't really think there's anybody that 
can't benefit. You just got to start using it. And I think, I think the idea that we're all going to be replaced by machines is, is silly. And who'd have thought that e-commerce would be an industry, and that analytics mm. would be an industry, and social would be an industry, and with all this, all this tech, yeah, comes opportunities. Yeah, um, it sort of works together rather yeah. than cannibalizes. Yeah, well, I, I think it's really exciting, genuinely. But the sooner people start to use it, the better, I would say. I want to go back to 2007, which is when Sheerlux was founded. It's very difficult for lots of people who'd be listening to understand how different the market was there. So we're sort of 2007, we're pre-crash, we're pre-Uber, Netflix, Instagram, Twitter, social media, broadly speaking, probably also reality television, certainly in the UK. Very few high-profile American influencers here. The wellness industry certainly hadn't really happened at all. Female founders didn't really get a look in. What was happening around you at that time that made it either beneficial or challenging to launch a business like this into the market? The only thing there really was was Daily Candy. I don't know if if you're laughing. <laughs> I am laughing, yeah, um, sorry. Which was a daily email that had one thing on it. Mm. And it was largely US-focused. There was a different edition in different cities, New York, LA, San Francisco, and there was a London, and it had a little illustration and some copy. And if you were on that, a family friend had an odd job business, mm. and he was on it, and it went berserk. If you were on that, it went berserk. But online, there was just an archive, it was just a list of dates. Right. <laughs> and I was like, what if you wanted to search jewellery, or what if you wanted to search? There's no way of doing that. Mm. That's the only thing there was at the time here. Mm-hmm. Print was still, well, I say the dominant form. It was the form. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't easy, but I could see e-commerce mm-hmm. really starting to take off. Yeah. And we were starting to shop online. So you were looking at this really sort of limiting, potentially clunky proposition and saying, like, there's got to be a, something in this that could be better. I was looking at, at writing a book, A Directory of Places to Shop. Yeah. And as I researched white T-shirts are us, and I was looking online for those address details, I kept seeing URLs, domains. Mm-hmm. And I'd click on them, and, I, and then I, and I was finding that more and more when there were these niche brands that were selling online. Not on the high street launch just before us. I remember seeing their deck, a friend sending it to me. He was at Condé Nast. I was like, shit. And then I sort of gather myself and I was like, okay, we're not the same. We're not the we're same. Not They're the same. a marketplace. Nederporte existed. Bowden was online. The white mm-hmm. company was online. Amazon. I guess ASOS was, what, 2002-ish? Was but it online. didn't really become that interesting until later. Yeah, but, but there were pure play e-com players and there were some traditional bricks and mortar mm-hmm. retailers, direct mail retailers starting to go online. And, and that's where the idea of an online directory came from. And it was Nick Jenkins, the founder of Moonpig, who was my first investor and a bit of a mentor. We've since bought him out. He's no longer an investor, but he was a great, great support. Mm-hmm. And it was him who said to me, think about stickiness. I went to him with the idea and he said, right, that's a good idea. Go away and write a business plan. Came out with a business plan. Okay, you've got to go and build it now. Mm. So I went off and built it, came back, and he, he said, think about stickiness, think about once they've discovered that Astrid and Mew are in your 
list of jewelry brands in the directory why people are going to keep coming back mm. and very quickly I introduced something called Editor's Picks yeah. and then a Coffee with Feature and that was the start of content online mm. and and slowly but surely the directory sort of was deprioritized and mm. then phased out. But going back to your question, digital media yeah. wasn't a thing, didn't really exist. So it was it was hard being taken seriously by the industry. But I saved the fashion industry. I still sort of don't really think of myself in the fashion industry. But it was hard work. Everyone wanted to work on an affiliate basis. So only no one would pay up front for tenancy. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of head down, head down and just grinding it out. In terms of those practical steps around the tech, what was that like? Because now it's very easy to contact someone for website design. And if you want to have affiliates or algorithms or there's constant bombardments of like SEO and PPC and how to expand online and actually build tech. What was it like in 2007? I mean there wasn't so much off the shelf so we built our own website there was no content management system everything was coded sort of line by line piece by piece mm -hmm. which I think that god how arduous that was yeah. you know there wasn't Drupal or Magento or Shopify or all these platforms that are out there now that make it so easy and mm. that also conform to meet best practice when it comes to things like SEO yeah. and SEO. I mean, these are the days of have you done your site map and your H1 yeah. tags and your. But it was a real. I mean, it still is black magic, mm. frankly. But you know, everybody was saying they would grow your business by ten x in a month yeah. of SEO if you sold a kidney. And we started very early creating content for our readers, for mm -hmm. our subscribers, and we still do. And it's actually only really now that we're sort of looking at the other way around and going, okay, let's bring SEO up the list of priorities a bit more than it was now that we've got the resource to be able to do so. But it was pretty basic mm -hmm. back then. When you say all these things didn't exist, it was a very different internet. Well, people used to post press releases yes. in the post. My yeah. team are just like, Hi, we don't understand. Someone, I remember having an intern once who was about 19 and she said, where did I get my news before the Daily Mail Online? And I was like, you you need to read a book. Like, you need to absolutely go and have a think about that. But that's why I sort of wanted to talk to you about it because I think now the idea of somebody launching anything online, the barrier to entry is so low. You could go onto an AI-generated logo and then, yeah. you know, get a website and there'd be someone... You put something on Twitter or TikTok or whatever, and it's sort of done. And it doesn't necessarily mean it will be successful, but you can create it very easily. But back when you set this up, we're talking about like a totally different landscape in which, you know, it was not least unusual to be a young woman starting a business, but also, as you know, to your point, this sort of evolving industry that had like fewer e-commerce players for sure. Mm. In terms of, I'm interested in, we were talking earlier about the vetting process and how you are very keen with your content to make sure that it's real human interaction with it. Is there a tension between a commercial entity and maintaining that editorial freedom? Has that ever been challenging? Yeah, for sure. I remember years ago being approached by a media brand who were interested in shit ups and they said, well, of course, you know, when you get to that size, you, you won't have that editorial freedom and you know it'll all be dictated by your advertisers and look we still get that to an extent 
there's a very well-known British brand who who I will keep nameless, but I remember <laughs> I remember um, they sell bags. We'll leave it at that. But okay. um, I remember them coming to us and, and and saying, right, this is what you've got to feature, and they gave us the assets, and they were they were pretty cold, really, and they were adamant that that's what we had to feature, mm. and that's how we can do our own designs or layouts or edits or and. Needless to say, it didn't do very well. And the second time round, they let us shoot it ourselves. Mm. And they kind of blew them away. (laughs) And I remember they said they'd taken it to their senior team and they said, this is how we need to work Mm. with the media going forward. And, and yeah, it was a real success. And they're a great client and Mm. we love working with them and they really trust us. I think we get the best results when brands give us the freedom. Yeah, Obviously, Brands have budgets for different things. You know, mm. Mango might be doing a collaboration with somebody on sustainability and the budget they're going to have is to put behind that. You know, you can't go off and do pink polka dots that sure. don't meet that brief if that's not what the budget's for. But mm. I think normally there's a way to make it work. Some brands are more rigid than others. I think in the world we're in with influences and broadcasting and content creation mm. it's going to be hard for brands to hang on to that forever but funny though that they wouldn't see those opportunities as either collaborative or mm. you having autonomy sort of thing I bet in your inner voice is like one of us has had a business for two yeah. decades yeah. creating we've been, this we've been doing it for a while <laughs> we've watched we've watched the levels of engagement yeah. for a long time and we've got a good experience in yeah, knowing for sure. what people engage with and what converts and what doesn't and what product selection to make I can't believe anyone listening hasn't heard of Sherlock's unless they're living under a rock but can you just tell me a little bit more about the business model so how do you monetize the site, how does it work? We make the majority of our revenue through tenancy mm-hmm. so brands partner with us, pay us to create content on their behalf that we broadcast out to our half million subscribers. That content can be across sharelights.com, mm-hmm. but also across our podcast, our YouTube channel, on which we have a show and lots of behind-the-scenes content, um, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we also have a community now. But, yeah, ultimately we are content creators mm-hmm. and we have a certain amount within our sort of daily, weekly mix of content, we have a certain amount that we restrict as editorial only so mm-hmm. that we maintain... The integrity. Yeah, of, yeah, exactly. And and then we have commercial content as well. And you know, we're a business. We've got a lot of stuff to pay to be able to create all the editorial. So we need the avatorial to go alongside it. But yeah, the, the lion's share, and I really mean the lion's share, comes from tenancy. And so you've got 60 employees now? Yeah. Is that right? It. So it's quite a big team. Mm. But it is a big team. What do you look for? I mean, obviously, there are different departments who, you know, marketing versus social versus content. But is there a sort of general cultural piece or are you looking for something specific in the people that you meet to hire? I say 60. We have we have a team of about seven on Lux & Co, which is a branding creative agency that I started just over a year ago. But in terms of employees, I would say, look, style is obvious. You know, we're looking for tastemakers. We're looking for people with natural flair. Mm-hmm. We're obviously looking for people with good knowledge of the industry. But we're looking for people who are really nice and warm and 
you know, people always say, is only until someone meets you that they realise you're you're really nice. And, and I think I, I'm not saying I can't be tough, but I'm a warm person. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can see that not only in our team. Yeah. And I genuinely like every single person who works for Sherlock. So every single one. And I think you can feel that in our content and our... Mm the site broadcasting you know we're not intimidating we're not too edgy we're really warm and that's so important we have an amazing chief of staff and she hires so well we mm-hmm. hire quite slowly we've obviously you know not everyone's worked out but yeah. a great work ethic can do attitude mm-hmm. collaborative we don't have massive egos flying around contrary to what people might think looking in i mean it's a really it's a really great environment and i think i think most people feel the same Mm. you've got hundreds of thousands of subscribers across you mentioned sort of multiple different platforms and and different engagement tools do you feel pressure to keep them all engaged yes full stop yes huge huge pressure huge pressure in digital to to constantly evolve Mm -hmm. um that is the nature of the beast Mm -hmm. it's a lot of hard work i'm not expecting sympathy but it is relentless and Tomorrow's another day, today's another day, yesterday's yesterday's news, yesterday's old news, you know, it it is and on and on and on. And, you know, I like being busy and and there's definitely an adrenaline rush and moving quickly and breaking things and affecting change. And, you know, that's all great, but it's... it's, Yeah, it's a treadmill that you're on. It ain't stopping. I think also when, not just for your subscribers, but when you've got employees that you're engaged with and you like you also sort of feel responsible to continue to make it a place that they want to be over anywhere else because that to your point retention I mean would you say that that retention has been largely due to culture we work hard on the culture we're not we don't have crashes in the office and we can't pay people five days when they work three and and you know we're an independent we don't have any external investors any longer we bought them all out mm-hmm. we don't have a big business behind us so we've sort of stood on our own two feet for a very long time and throughout economic highs and lows mm-hmm. pandemics etc cetera, etc cetera, the situation we're in now in this country is it's pretty shit yeah um, it's pretty shit so there's a balance we do really care and i think we we're human we're women we have empathy but but yeah there is a balance I think also people stay well I I think it's genuinely a really great team of people there's a lot of laughing in our office there's a lot Mm -hmm. of hard work Mm -hmm. the team work really freaking hard it's a lot of hard work but there's a lot of great friendships and relationships Mm -hmm. and also the privilege to do what we do and we do get great results and we do have really unique engagement Mm -hmm. with our subscribers and we get amazing interviews and amazing opportunities yeah. and we get to do the broadcasting and the shooting and the TikToks and the, everything that we do. And I think that's pretty rewarding as well as yeah. a nice place to work. And know. it's a really, you know, it's an important lens for people to see into the business because you can't sort of pretend that culture into social content. So certainly a lot of my team that look at the, and myself included, look at the TikToks and things, you know, you get that sense that people are actually enjoying themselves and and, and sort of want to be there. I do. I'm sitting in my office 
looking at the PL and I can see all these Someone fun doing a things cartwheel. going on outside. Yeah. I'm like, that looks much more fun. Than this. Someone dressed as a mascot doing a cartwheel yeah, across yeah. the. Fabulous. No, it's great. Um, we talk a lot, we hear a lot about social media setting unrealistic expectations across the board. I think you know, one of the things that you guys have done brilliantly, particularly with TikTok, is create a very accessible, real office lens as opposed to making it always look perfect. It's a bunch of people who clearly like working together. What's your relationship like with social media? Obviously, it's important to the business, but particularly in regards to entrepreneurialism, do you think that there's a glamorization of it? Do you think that it's giving young people who want to start a business a realistic picture and and sort of how do you interact with it as a as a person as opposed to with your business i think that if you're an entrepreneur or a budding entrepreneur you want to follow other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. you know that's who i want to follow anyway always have mm-hmm. i've wanted to follow inspiring women not so much brands so i think that's why bringing the personality into our accounts has worked in our favour because mm-hmm. people don't just want to watch Nike talk about Nikes. Right, yeah. It's you know, it's boring when you bring team into that and other voices and personalities, mm-hmm. that's when the kind of magic happens. I was certainly useful to the business and, and still am at times when it comes to social. I'm definitely at forty two, starting to get to the age which I wondered if I would get to where I I don't want to be all over it as much Mm -hmm. personally I don't and for the business it's not the right thing it's not the best use of my time Mm -hmm. and it's not the best thing for the business and there are people better at it than I am and it's great to see people rise up and evolve and and see them do it really well Mm -hmm. and also we're so lucky in that we have amazing contributors and friends and faces of Sherlock's who who broadcast and contribute do you think people are misled about the reality of what it takes to run a business? You're saying sort of it's relentless. And obviously you've been doing this for a long time and had to evolve through tech booms, crashes, social media evolutions. I didn't really want to talk about the C word, but COVID was obviously a huge challenge, mainly, I guess, for you guys in terms of like how you come together as a team to actually do your jobs. Probably mm. it's challenging aside from sort of budget slashing left, left right, and centre. It is very challenging. I... Look, different people prioritise different things yeah. and I obviously want to be a good wife and mother and friend and but you know, you either have that drive or you don't. It is hard. I think this country is a hard country in which to be an entrepreneur. Mm. There's not an awful lot of thanks being an employer, if I'm really honest. I think you get yeah. to a certain level. It is yeah, it's here's 25% corp tax. Take yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, there's a lot that you pay back as mm. as an employer, as an entrepreneur, without without huge support. I mean, gratitude I, I, is the, I, was the word I decided not to use, without mm. huge support from the powers that be sure, yeah. in this country. But despite all of that... The pros are outweighing the cons yeah, still. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure, for sure. If you're thinking about it, do it. You've obviously editorialised this lifestyle online. Why do you think it is that so many people have connected so passionately with Sherlock's? I think it's because we're real and we have a great eye. Yeah. We're current, we keep evolving. We're like you're sort of in the no friend. We, mm. we I, I said it earlier, but, you know, we really consciously have never intimidated 
Devil was Prada. I mean, I think mm. the industry is very different, but you know, that's never been our style. Yeah. And people stop us, our team. Oh, I just had to say hello because I feel like I know you, and we love that. We love, you know, I think people at Shellouts really do love what they do and realize that they are giving people a bit of joy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you're right, is that the accessibility piece? Because I think some websites, content platforms, editorial blogs, etc. before are sort of like, you idiot, how did you not know this was fashionable? Yeah. Whereas I think it's more like you're telling someone about it yeah. so they can go and tell their friends and it becomes more of a like inclusive community thing, yeah. which I guess is kind of the secret source of that. What are some of the mistakes you've made that you are able legally to talk about? I remember an event that went so wrong and we had an events manager then. He was great, this French lady on bean, and we had this event in a kitchen somewhere in Soho and it was a fucking disaster and the demonstrations were shit. We thought they were shit. Our readers thought they were shit. I mean, I remember standing in this kitchen just thinking I literally want to run away right now and it was it was a horror. And I remember Omeline saying, my father always said that you only learn from your mistakes, you don't learn from things going right. And, you know, it was true. And from that, we yeah. went away and we said, right, we won't do this again, we won't do this again, we won't do this again. Mm. We're learning all the time. We are... I remember Emma Bridgewater saying on a podcast, you know, when you create a duff range, pull it, stick it in TK Maxx, that's what it's for, yeah. and move the hell on as quickly as you can. Mm. So I think we're always learning. We are very innovative. We're constantly innovating and evolving mm -hmm. and tweaking that's the beauty of digital is that you can make change very quickly mm -hmm. but I mean the minute you see a weakness you've got to cut it off mm -hmm. um we've not raised very much money in the history of Sherlock's we did two small fundraisings in 2007 and 8 and then and then because of the climate had to stand on our own two feet so we've done everything very organically I always say test invest minimum viable product mm -hmm. And that's always been our motto. I mean, I remember spending money on advertising with quite a big publishing house, whose name I will not repeat. We were sort of two, three years old and we spent five grand. And this was huge. We'd yeah. been spending 1,250 quid on Daily Candy and and it drove about 12 subscribers. And they'd sent me all these numbers and I literally just could have gone and put £5,000 in the bin. Yeah. And we had so little money. Yeah, I'd say we still act... In some ways, like a startup, we're still very lean. We still consider every pound we spend. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy. I remember somebody saying it's very easy to spend money when you have it. Yeah. So I think not having lots of it helps you make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess also with, I think it's important to say and reiterate what you've just said, that whether it's Emma Bridgewater or you or people do make mistakes and you might have a shit event or you might have a range that doesn't work or you might get an email from a brand saying we've got a new collection you think that's absolute dog shit how on earth are we going to make that look nice but it's sort of not the omission of those things it's just sort of accepting them and and yeah. moving forward and having yeah. momentum we did a range of bags and they sold out really fast we did a run of 50 then 100 i think we had four different styles and we had some great press and then suddenly some press hit and our bags ended up somewhere in eastern europe when they were supposed to be in the uk right. and we were a really small team and i remember looking at the profitability and thinking how much time had gone into it and then looking at the profitability of publishing and being like okay cut yeah abort abort this yeah is, we're not doing this that. has been great how lovely to have had some product 
But actually, my brain is saying this is the end of the road. Yeah, it's funny. The merch, the merch, all the product things, people think it's a very easy diversification to make. And you sort of... Yeah, we were just looking at sweatshirts, actually. And we found this really amazing sweatshirt. And we had a really cool, like, Shillox established 2007 on the front. And it was really cool. And then we got the costs. And then our RFD was like, you got to add that and shipping and this and this and this. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that is a really expensive 40% of them will be lost by the team. Should we just leave this to an innovating focus on publishing (laughs) content? You're like, if a brand wants to sort of create them for us, lovely... But yeah, it is really expensive. It's not necessarily. I mean, everyone wants merch in the in the team, don't they? Until you know, yeah. they have to. We'll sort stick, of we'll stick with coffee cups. I think. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of the most valuable investments you've made? People, probably. Yeah. I remember early on, one of our investors saying, "You know, I think, I think you've got to stop ordering the new role and get someone else to do that." And, was that um, easy for you to start? I mean, new role, perhaps you know, less glamorous. But yeah, I think did people... you find the delegation? Sort of I, think, I think people would like to think that I'm some psycho <laughs> micromanager, but actually there's nothing more rewarding than letting people run with something yeah. and it being brilliant and you not having had anything to do with it. David Gandhi did a takeover of S on Man this year and I think I had a couple of things via Charlotte put in front of me, like literally a glance. Mm. But I had virtually nothing to do with it. I mean, there are so many examples of that at Sherlock. Mm. So many. I find that really thrilling. That's not to say I have this annoying ability to be able to sort of helicopter in on something that I haven't been involved in and spot the mistakes, which probably drives my team mad. Yeah. But that comes from years of experience. <laughs> and also the fact that when you are removed, it's much easier to see the mistakes. You know, you, you can't sub your own work. Yeah. So... You know, I would say investing in people, we're a almost 100% gross margin business, which is, is great. I mean, as mm. in you and PR and the beauty of it is more subscribers. Yeah. And, you know, that all goes of, the right way. Yeah. yeah it, it all goes in the right direction. Exactly. I have to ask you about TikTok. <laughs> Your TikTok is, aside from as a sort of PR brand person, thinking it's brilliant in the way that it's shot and the content and it feels very real and it's not sort of ramming things down people's throats. It's very organic in the way that you're sort of jumping on trends, but also really getting the variety of all the people that work for you to talk about things that are of interest to them. So from that perspective, but also just from an industry perspective, there isn't another platform, content platform, that is anywhere near as quick or agile or clever as what you're doing on social media and I think when you look at some of the big publishing houses it's a lot of like we're backstage at this cover shoot or when it's content it's like on set and it's all quite sort of one-dimensional was there a plan behind the TikTok were you very involved in it or did you sort of go we need to be on this I'm gonna hire someone and let them run with it how did that come about I felt like I didn't understand it for a while Mm -hmm. and couldn't really understand where we fitted in. So I think it was just watching for a while. Did we hire anyone new? No. And I I remember being on a call from home. It was Charlotte, Maya, Daisy and I, I think. And I remember saying, I get it now, I get it now, I get it now. This is this is entertainment first. So mm-hmm. at Sherlock's we educate, inspire, entertain. The site is probably educate first. 
Instagram is probably inspire first, TikTok is probably entertain first. Mm-hmm. And it was that. And then there were some notes that I think Maya had on, on being raw, don't overdo it, it's not too polished. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about a few scenarios and how do we bring product into that and how do we, mm. how can we use the team and... This is what we've got that's unique. We'd had all this behind-the-scenes content for years, which we wanted to evolve and keep moving. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's great having something that everyone loves, but, you know, you can't rest on your laurels. And, and so that changing, us understanding TikTok, us having this USP of this great team, of not taking ourselves too seriously, of not having mm-hmm. lots of red tape, of just trying things. Yeah resulted in this conversation I remember sitting in my kitchen I think it was a Wednesday we worked from home and I was like okay that we've got it we've got it we've got it go 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 and and off we went I mean it's going it's happening it's really taken off what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received about building a business I mean I think minimum viable product is whether it's advice I give or have received I would say you you can spend a long time procrastinating Mm. but Get something out there. Yeah. That's when you really learn. Do you Listen to your customers. I mean, they they tell you what they want, whether you're in PR, publishing. Oh, yeah, I mean, they love goods, telling you. You know, and <laughs> you can be warm and want to be successful and yeah. they're not mutually exclusive. I think that's we need to amazing see them. So we're in this amazing world where anyone can do anything. Yeah. And, you know, the world's everyone's oyster, really. Yeah. Do you take time out to enjoy the successes in the business? I mean, obviously you have a family, so you sort of need to presumably give them some attention at some point. But <laughs> are you are you good at saying, you know, that was amazing or we've got a million something on TikTok or we've this is a brand I've always wanted to work with or, you know, whatever the milestones are for you in the business. Do you are you good at saying, Well done me or well done team? Or does it just sort of roll on to the I don't think that I say well done me. And I think I'm sure you're the same. I it's horrifying thinking don't about, have a massive yeah. ego. I have huge fear of failure. That's what drives you as an entrepreneur, yeah. I think, in the main. And no, the goalposts keep moving. That said, I probably don't say well done team enough. They're fucking awesome. And you know, I'm so lucky to work with them all as for Taking time out, yes and no, I don't work at weekends. I'm not very present during the working week, but if I if I have to be, then I will be, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great juggle, it's a great privilege, mm. and there's still a lot of juggling to do. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any mantras or work rules that you live by? Clear my inbox, I'm fastidious. I remember my sister-in-law saying she shuts down her inbox so that she can focus on tasks that need to do it. Yeah. Because there is a danger that you, as my friend used to joke when she was a banker, that she used to just sit there and tidy her box and actually not do any business. So I think as I've got busier, I've got better at just not being a slave to my inbox. Yeah. But I do at the end of every working day before I go to bed. I, I have Make to sure be it's... able to see. I still see the bottom of my inbox. I like to be able to see two thirds empty yeah. of my screen. Well, you're right. It's like that whole, I do this too. Like if you get into your emails and you start responding to them, it's so reactive. And I've got a really bad habit where I'll flag things. If it takes more than five minutes, I'll flag it. It's sort of like, when am I going to do that? And then it yeah, gets to the end the of the day and you're first. like, tonight. Do the flags first. <laughs> yeah. 
do the flex first. Yeah. Productivity can be challenging. We all are sort of expected to be high performers, high achievers. You know, that's often an aspiration. You're running a business, you're a friend, a family, a wife, etc. If you had an extra hour in the day, what would you use it for? I'd alternate. One day I'd play tennis. The other day I'd play rummy cub with my children. Oh, that's nice. How lovely. How do you define success? Not failing. What's next for you and the business? What can we what can we expect to see? We are launching in the Middle East in September. There's nothing like us in the digital space out there. Mm-hmm. There's huge growth in e-commerce. There are great products out there, great services out there, but there's no one really connecting them with the target consumer mm-hmm. in the way that we do here. And there's a new growing generation in Dubai, in the UAE, in Saudi Arabia, and um, it feels silly not to go for it. It's, um, yeah, it's really exciting. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're busy and in demand and I really appreciate that you've taken time out to chat to me. I have no doubt that for people at all stages of their entrepreneurial journey or generally people who work in brands or content or journalism will be fascinated to hear more about your journey and story and your insights. So thank you for being honest with me and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me.